0: Hello and welcome to your one-stop shop for everything haunted and spooky, The Haunted Estate. Make sure to call our toll-free phone number, 1-877-260-3428, to tell us your scary story. And don't forget to buy my book, The Home Reader, A Paranormal Journey. You can find it at thehauntedestate.com. Hello, everybody. Long time no see. It is me, Selena, back after a bit of a week and a half absence. I was planning a big sorry speech, but truth is, it's not that I'm not sorry. I'm just going through a very weird time. We all have those points in our life. I feel like being 25 is just a terrible time. been very sick and uh, just dealing with some personal issues where I just really couldn't muster to get out of bed. Really, honestly, I know we've all been there where you're just like, Wow, Uh, life, how about we don't? So that's been me for the last uh, about week and a half. But I got up, I got out of bed. The house was clean today. I cleaned it yesterday. I was pretty proud of myself for getting something done. Grabbed myself a glass of champagne. It's five o'clock somewhere. It might only be 11 o'clock in the morning here. But you know what? It's only a half That's all I had. So that's okay. And I never, ever drink. So if you're wondering, no, I'm not a spooky alcoholic. That would be pretty terribly funny. Anyways, I want to say that I love you guys. I hope you're doing well. The is down right now because it's expensive and uh, I just didn't have the room for it this month. Hopefully, we'll be up next month. If you are curious where you can find my book, if you head over to facebook.com, search The Haunted Estate Podcast, you will find everything there. i gonna be posting there for a while now, but eventually, the site will be back up Sorry, if you want to donate to the show, feel free. There is a donate button on thehauntedestate.com. Oh, wow, you can't do that. Whatever. You can send me PayPal. (laughs) I love you guys. Buy a book. That's a great way to support the show. Buy a book. So tonight we have some color stories. Um, Hopefully we have some color callers. But yes, I have some emails. And um, let's get into it. So your stories, my stories, and everything spooky in between tonight on The Haunted Estate. First up we do have our favorite park ranger. I just listened to the very beginning of the call to make sure you have you don't understand how many calls I get that are like, hello, I'm from Texas, would you like to invest in my company? So, anyways, our favorite park ranger for sure has some more very amazingly spooky haunted things. It is also accompanied by an email that I picked up yesterday. So we'll listen to her call and then we'll dive deep into her stories.
1: Hello again. It's your favorite Maryland park ranger. Well at least I hope I'm your favorite. I don't know how many rangers listen to your podcast, but I hope it's a lot. Today, I wanted to share a few more stories I've gathered from my park system, and I apologize for how quickly I was speaking last time. I was super caffeinated. Today, I will talk like a normal person. I'm going to tell you stories from our nature center. The center is located on about 18 acres, which was given to the county as a gift for the purpose of nature education when the couple that used to live on the land died. The building itself is less than five years old. The history of the land, of course, goes way back. Arrowheads and artifacts from early settlers of the area have been found and are kept in the Nature Center as a historical exhibit. That being said, there are definitely some strange occurrences that go on. Any employee there will tell you that there is a notebook up at the front desk that they call the ghost log, where people write down their paranormal encounters. I have a ranger friend who used to work there who would hear footsteps coming up from the bottom level after he had done a sweep down there to make sure it was empty. He knew for a fact he and the other person at the desk were the last two people in the building. Employees have heard people whispering their name when no one else is in the room, but assumed it was someone pranking them. On one night, two educators were working late, preparing for a big event the next day. One was coming in from the front garden when he saw an old man sitting on a rock right next to the frog pond. It was dark out, and the educator was startled as he was not expecting to see a patron in the garden so late. There's only one entrance to the center's parking lot, and the gate is closed and locked at sundown every day. No cars were in the lot, except for the two belonging to the employees. Wondering if this older gentleman had been walking around the nature center's trail since before it closed, the guy asked him what he was doing. Oh, just waiting, the old man said. Well, the gate is locked now, so if you're waiting for a ride, they won't be able to get up here, the staff member said. I'll be fine, said the old man. The educator shook his head and went inside. A few moments later, his co-worker came in. Did you see that old man sitting on the rock out there? The first educator asked. His friend shook his head and said no. He just got something from his car and walked through the whole garden and didn't see anyone. Keep in mind, this is not a location you can get to by foot unless you walk a long ways along a very busy road or if you go miles through the woods, only some of which has trails. They're both pretty spooked by that encounter. I have another good friend who works at the center, and he relayed to me a story about how he and two other staff were working on a project right before lunch. My friend and the other guy decided to break for lunch, but their co-worker said she would touch up in a few minutes. When she swiped her access card to the building and pulled the door, something on the other side pulled it shut. Thinking it was my friend and the other guy messing with her, she sighed and swiped her card again, pulling on the door. The same thing happened. A little frustrated now, she tried the door a third time with some force. The door was yanked closed so hard that she tweaked her shoulder, which hurt for days afterwards. Angry now, she yelled to whoever was on the other side of the door that this wasn't funny anymore and that they'd hurt her shoulder. When she swiped her cart the fourth time, she was able to open the door without resistance. She marched into the break room to confront her coworkers. You guys, that was not funny, she said. You actually really hurt me that last time you yanked the door shut. My friend and his coworker looked at each other confused. We've been in here almost ten minutes. We were wondering what was taking you so long, we came straight here. Other staff in the break room confirmed that they had indeed been there for as long as they claimed. The poor girl was now scared, in addition to being angry. At least it left her alone when she told it to, right? And then most recently, they called us late at night when they were hosting a wedding because of a strange person dressed all in black who walked into the center and wanted to wander around. When the staff member informed him that the place was closed except for the private wedding event he said oh okay i'll just walk around and maybe get some cake to which the staff member replied no this is a private event the park is closed you need to leave thinking this person was a little strange he called us rangers and we also contacted the police we spent the next hour combing the grounds for this strange individual he never showed up down where the wedding was being held and no one saw him leave either
2: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: So those are my stories about the Nature Center. It's definitely a little bit strange. I would love to know some of the things that used to happen on those grounds. It clearly has a very long history just based on the various artifacts that they found, and I find it super interesting. I wish we knew a little more about who used to live there and maybe what happened to them but that's all for today thank you as always for doing what you do and i can't wait to hear more of your podcast
0: bye thank you so much for calling in i really enjoy your calls it really sounds like quite the playful ghost quite the shit disturber if i might say i am still just so jealous of your job being able to be outside and and have fun like that and and to get to work in like such a paranormally active area um I really hope that you can share some more like personal experiences sometimes. I, I'm really curious you know, in your personal life, too. And don't worry about talking fast. Sometimes I listen back to my podcast, and I'm like, wow, they have to think I do crack. Uh, I didn't think you spoke fast at all. I'm sure I'm speaking fast right now. But anyways, let's jump straight into your email, actually. Okay, so Amy sent us some pretty cool links. We're first going to go into the top 10 haunted sites in Maryland. I always remember, this is such a weird story, Um, when I was really young, like really, really young, probably 10 to 15, or even, yeah, around there, I started talking to this guy online, and his name was Paul, and he said he was from England, but then he said he was from Maryland, and that Maryland was in England, which wasn't true, anyways, let's jump into this, this is more interesting than that, isn't it? Wow, I ramble. Let's get into it. Okay, 10 haunted sites in Maryland. There are hundreds of haunted sites in Maryland, but some have stood out over decades as being especially creepy. They are linked with sightings of apparitions, sudden changes in temperature, unexplained noises, or the feeling of being watched. Here are 10 ghostly spots that are open to the public. And T M. Antietam Battlefield, wow, Ant, so it's A-N-T-I-E-T-A-M, Battlefield. Okay, Antietam Battlefield could possibly be the most haunted place in Maryland. It's the site of America's bloodiest single-day battle, with more than 23,000 lives lost on this battlefield alone. Hundreds of visitors and locals have reported seeing soldiers in uniform still on the field wandering as if they're lost. Many hear the distant fire of gunshots and cannons. According to many paranormal groups who have done investigations, sightings seem to be most prevalent at dawn and dusk. The Doctor Daniel Doctor Samuel A. Mudhouse. Okay. Dr. Samuel A. Mudd was a doctor who treated John wyke's booth for a broken leg. Booth broke his leg by falling immediately after he had shot President Abraham Lincoln. Law enforcement caught up with Dr. Mudd while on the hunt for Booth. They unjustly tried Mudd in court, but being a co-conspirator in Lincoln's assassination, Mudd was jailed for years and known to have compassionately treated prisoner victims for yellow fever. His wife fought for a pardon, which she, she finally gained from President Andrew Johnson. Tragically, Dr. Mudd died in his home just after a short time that he was gained his release after being exposed to unhealthy conditions of prison life. Many believe his restless spirit still haunts the house and roams the surrounding fields. Now the house is a museum, operate, operated by Samuel Mudd Society the jonathan hager house jonathan hager founder of hagerstown presented this house to his new bride around 1740 he spent the next 35 years making history in washington county until he died tragically in a building accident people have reported seeing a man dressed in black walking on the porch of the hager house voices are heard inside the house as well as footsteps ascending the stairs. A psychic has also reported a strong presence in the basement. Maryland State House Annapolis. The Maryland State House in Annapolis is the oldest continually operated statehouse in America, and it's full of spirits. The old Senate chamber, where George Washington re-signed his commission, is said to be haunted. Locals report seeing a revolutionary soldier on the grounds, as well as a man up on the State House dome, believed to be a worker who fell to his death trying to finish a job. Bachelors Point, Denton. There are several places designated as Bachelors Point along the Cheapest... Cheapest Pay? Cheapest Pay? Cheapest Pay? But this one on the Choptank River in Denton is known as the site of a great Indian massacre. The warriors of a local Algonquin tribe left to fight a battle and nearly all were killed. A few returned to the settlement near Bachelors Point where the women and children were waiting. To avoid being taken into slavery by the opposing tribe, they joined hands and walked into the river chanting, All were lost. Locals still hear the faint sounds of the death chant floating across the river. Discouragey Bridge, Cambridge Big Liz was a slave in Dorchester County whose master believed she was trading information with the Union Army, specifically information about his stash of money. Her master had Big Liz follow him onto the swamp to rebury the money. Then he cut off her head. Shortly afterward, he died. Today, people see Big Liz near Dorsey Bridge, holding her head in her hands and motioning to come follow her to her master's treasure, which has never been found. All who have followed have never returned. St. Paul Cemetery, Chestertown. St. Paul Cemetery in Chestertown dates back to the 1700s, Tallulah Blackhead's grave is said to be haunted. Locals say that if you press your ear to her grave slab, you can hear Tallulah's raspy voice speak and sometimes sing. Tokens, beads, empty vodka bottles and mementos are often mysteriously left on the slab. Also, the bridge at the end of the cemetery is said to be haunted by Tench Tilgman. His lantern is seen especially on dark nights crossing the bridge kitty knight house galena kitty Nighthouse house in georgetown is not far from saint paul's cemetery kitty knight persuaded the british not to burn her house down during the war of 1812 she now haunts the house which serves as an inn guests have seen an apparition of a woman dressed in 19th century clothing clothing descending the stairs Nearly all the staff has had an encounter with Kitty Knight. Baltimore County Alms House Also known as the third and last alms house in Baltimore County, this house once served as the poorhouse, where children would be housed temporarily when parents couldn't properly care for them. Faces are seen around the house. Voices of women are heard on the third floor, as well as the sound of children playing and throwing things. The house now serves as a headquarters for the Baltimore County Historical Society. Fort McHenry, Baltimore, known as Fort McHenry, the site of one of the most deciding battles in American history, but many don't know that it is the site of many unexplained events. Fort security guards have reported seeing soldiers in uniform walking around the fort with weapons in hand. Strange noises are heard from the dungeon areas where prisoners were held. Many visitors report a feeling of being watched. Fort McHenry is now a national park. So, guys, that is our top 10 list of haunted sites in Maryland. Along with this email, she sent a little note. So, Ellicott City, I hope it's Ellicott City, I'm going to butcher this, is one of the most haunted areas in the state. Sadly, the historic downtown was just greatly damaged by a flood, but recovery is on the way. Hooray! I saw that on the news, I truly did. Anyways, a couple of these in this list are properties owned by my department, including the Patapisco, oh God, female... The female institute, which has lots of stories. The old firehouse, Seven Hills Road, actually called College Ave, is not my property, but I still drive down it about every day. Rangers don't work until midnight, so I've never been able to try getting the gross truck to follow me on the job. Also... I do not want to wreck my patrol car, that'd be terrible, or my personal car for that matter. I think I'll just stick to reading other people's stories about being followed by the ghost truck. My fiancé grew up in this area and while he was never chased by a truck. When he was a teen, one time he did go way too fast and lost control and spun out. Luckily, in someone's large front yard instead of another car or a tree because he would probably be dead. Thank God. So maybe these people who died on this road were just dumb and go way too fast. It is a tricky road, and it may not be paranormally related. Maybe those that don't crash make up stuff about being chased by a truck to justify their tomfoolery. Or maybe there is a demon truck that chases people. It's an interesting story either way. Thanks for doing what you do and can't wait to get my hands on a copy of your book. That is so cool. Okay, so she sent a site that is talking about haunted Ellicott City, Maryland. So I'm going to take a look under at this and find some cool stuff to read to you guys. All right, let's jump right in with the Hayden House. The old Hayden House, or Oak Lawn, as the house was called, is a small stone house that was built back in the early 1800s. Once located on its own lot, the house is now surrounded by additions that have been made to the Howard County Courthouse over the years. It's not an easy place to find, but well worth a look should you ever get the chance. The house was built by Edwin Paris and Hayden, the first county clerk in Ellicott City. I really hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> Ellicott, it looks right. Ellicott, Ellicott City. Ah. Anyways, and he lived there with his wife and six children up until the time of his death in 1850. After that, the house saw several different owners, including the Howard County Board of Education and the District Court in 1981. The house sat vacant for several years before being taken over by County Law Library. Stories about Oak Lawn and the mysterious events going on there began many years ago and continue today although they probably peaked during the 1970s when the house was occupied by the district court and the county office of parole and probation clerks and secretaries often reported lights turning on and off by themselves a coffee pot that would heat up even when it was unplugged and the sounds of phantom footsteps echoing throughout the occupied parts of the un- unoccupied parts of the building There were also stories of a rocking chair that moved by itself and a staff member who came to work early one morning and saw a man through the glass panes of the front door. A check of the building revealed no one living, that is, was inside. Frankly, I find the stories of the coffee pot which heated up on its own to be most entertaining, especially in light of the phenomenon that accompanied it. The most commonly reported strange events were the phantom smells of oak lawn. The smells of soup and bacon and eggs would waft through the building during the day and into the night. It was not the odors themselves that seemed to disturb the the staff, but the source of them, or rather, the lack of a source. At the time, there were no cooking appliances in the building and no cooking done there at all. Soon the ghost was dubbed the cooking ghost and the smells of various foods became commonplace. The smells of food were not the only way the ghost chose to make its presence known. However, one staff member, who probably had the most strange encounters than any other, was of the late solitary hours he worked. He reported a number of events, like seeing cloth napkins fold and refold themselves before his eyes, or hearing a number of noises that he could not explain. On one occasion, he believed that he actually saw the ghost itself. He was working late one night and was on his way to the second floor when he noticed what appeared to be a white haze. Out of the corner of his eyes, he looked quickly and saw the misty ball of vapor hanging in the air. It was very dense, but he could see behind it, and then it vanished. Oak Lawn remains haunted place today, and visitors are able to see it on the Elliot ghost tour. Here are some personal stories. In response to that of the, of the Hayden House story, I currently work in the courthouse. I hear weird things all the time. Also, I have a hot plate that turns on by itself. I literally have to unplug it from the wall, and the temperature dial still turns on. One of my co-week, co-workers have seen women go through the wall that goes straight up the library, right into Hayden House. Very curious. I find it very weird when ghosts play with electrical things, especially ghosts from the 1800s, because they'd be looking at that and they'd be like, oh my god, this is magic, not knowing that they're crazy and ghosts. And wow. Moving on, let's hear about the ghost of Lilburn. Lulburn is one of the most beautiful homes in the town of Ellicott City, Maryland, and it is also the most notorious of the town's haunted residences. The unexplained happenings here have given rise to the ghost stories that date back more than a century, and they still continue today. Lilburn was built in 1857 by Henry Richard Hazlehurst, a prosperous business owner who would go on to make a fortune in the iron trade during the Silver War. As the years passed, a series of tragedies struck the family as Hazlehurst lost his wife and several children. One of them, a daughter, was said to have died in childbirth at Lilliburn. Hazlehurst outlived most his family and died in 1900 at the age of eighty five. In 1923, the Maginnis family purchased Lilburn, and it was during the time in which they lived in the house that the stories of ghostly activity in the mansion began making rounds in the town. It was said that footsteps were heard by the family in the tower, along with many other strange noises which could not be explained. It was suggested that the ghost might be the daughter of Henry Hazlehurst, who had spent her final days in the house dying when giving birth. Tragedy almost struck another family at Christmas time that year when a fire broke out and much of the mansion was ruined. The place was completely rebuilt except for a minor change. When the tower was reconstructed, McGuinness chose to replace the gothic peaks that had been on it with stone battlements. Apparently, this site did not sit well with the ghost of, of Lilburn because the paranormal activity began to increase, leading many to wonder if Henry Hazlehurst himself may be lingering behind. The stories of ghosts continued for years, and the house was owned by several different families. In the 1960s, it was purchased by the Balderson family, who had their own share of supernatural tales in the house. The phantom footsteps continued to be heard, and the family dog refused to go into a small room on the second floor hallway. On another occasion, a heavy chandelier in the dining room began to swing back and forth during a party startling many friends and family the windows in the tower refused to stay close and at one point balderson resorted to tie the window shut with heavy rope by the time he had finished tying the rope and walked outside he saw the windows from the exterior of the house the ropes had already been redone and the windows opened by unseen hands A housekeeper for the Baldersons claimed to hear a child crying in the house and also to have smelled a man's cigar in the library, even though there was no one else in the room. She also claimed to see several apparitions in the house, including the shadowy figure of a man and a girl in a chiffon dress walking down the hallways. Following the Balders' tenure in the house, it was purchased by Dr. Eugenia King, who lived there with her son, they also reported problems with the tower windows and repeat performance of the chandelier in the dining room. An addition occurrence took place when a vase of flowers suddenly turned upside down and emptied itself onto the floor. In 1983, the house was purchased by another family who restored the house and made some major renovations. They claimed to have had no encounters with the supernatural occupants of the house. And yet... By 1988 it was on the market again the house is private property today but watch for it to soon be included in the upcoming book haunted ellicott city by david catcherson and troy taylor
2: pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: Oh, here's that one that's really hard. Okay. The Patas Petaspico... God, I'm just going to say the Female Institute. So, the Female Institute is found high above Ellicott City on Church Road. The view from the front lawn of the ruins, once a girls school, is now commanding one that looks out that looks out on a small town, the hills and the river beyond. It is hard to imagine the place as it once looked, although valiant efforts in recent years "'have erased the signs of time and vandals "'and ever restored at least a portion of the old building, "'it is not hard to imagine the scenic and beautiful spot "'it may become, or a little spookier "'once darkness comes to Ellicott City, "'or that it is home to at least one ghost. "'The school had the distinction "'of being one of the first female institutes "'in the South when it was officially opened.' The west wing was given to an immense ballroom, and the floors were made from fine hard wood. The house was decorated with fine tapestries and imported furnishings and fabrics. Needless to say, attracted daughters from the very cream of the southern society. Despite the opulent surroundings, life in the institute would be rigid, especially for wealthy girls who were used to, be wait- who were used to being waited on at home. The building was made of stone and could be bitterly cold in the winter. There were no sanitary facilities in the school, so chamber pots were used. Colds and sickness spread among the girls in the wet and cool months. And a number of girls even died from influenza or croup. One such girl was said to be Annie Van Derlo, the daughter of a rich southern planter. She died from pneumonia in her first winter at the school and her ghost is still said to linger there, roaming the ruins where her classroom and dormitory used to be. Annie was said to have resented being sent to the small mill town of Ellicott City to ascend school. She sent a number of letters home which protested her incon her <laughs> Why can't I read today? Incarceration. It spoke badly of the school. One has to wonder how happy her spirit must be while wandering the despised building under the light of the moon. After the Civil War, the lives of young girls who attended the Institute drastically changed. Things were now very different in the South, and classes on etiquette and manners did not seem so important anymore. The curriculum for the school made many changes, and shortly its reputation began to suffer By 1891, the Female Institute had closed its doors for good. Later that same year, the building was purchased by James E. Tyson, and it was turned into a summer hotel. It was during this time that a large porch was added and since destroyed, and a spacious in-ground swimming pool. The pool has survived, although it is now a weed-choked ruin and just lies on the current property along the line of the old building. The building was purchased again 14 years later and named Byrne Alwick after the English ancestral home of the new owner, Miss Lily Tyson. She used the place as a residence for three years before it changed hands yet again. This time in, in 1917, the school was turned into a 50-bed hospital for wounded servicemen of World War I. Okay, um, let's hear about this one. The Ellicott City's old fire station. It is said to be haunted by some of the old firemen. I guess the doors slam at night and ghosts have been seen, and it is said to hear a lot of footsteps. Okay, Hell House, St. Mary's College. Others have seen or heard the mysterious staircase leading up from the road and back into the woods. Few people knowing the real story behind this structure. Though the building is what remains today of Mary's College, a seminary for young men joining a Roman Catholic religious order known as the Redemptionists, the college operated at that site over a century ago. Okay, so Seven Hills Road. There are seven hills behind the historic Ellicott City, which there are... Seven Hills. Okay, I read that right. (laughs) Why can't I talk? I'm sorry, this is even running really long today. I really appreciate Amy for sending this in, because I really didn't have to think about an episode today, Um, so a big appreciation goes out to her. This is going to be the last message I'm going to throw in there, but I'm going to end after this, so I just want to send out my huge thank you. Um, I love hearing from her, but let's hear about Seven Hill Road. November 3rd, 2012. These are personal stories, by the way. Well, it was during the fall of 2011, if I remember correctly. It was October 16th. Me, my sister, my mother, and my mother's boyfriend, Mike, were riding around Ellicott City because my mother had a fascination with the supernatural and the unexplained. We decided to ride up Seven Hill Road. We had been driving for a while, visiting other haunted hotspots, so it just happened to be around midnight. We decided to put the ghost car myth, to the test. Me and my mother have had some unexplainable incidents, so we thought something might happen. We made sure that no one else was driving or walking so we could speed down the hills. We hit about 93 miles per hour and reached the end of the road. We had seen nothing, so we made a U-turn and tried again. Still nothing. We had tried this about five times and got nothing, so we decided that the ghost car myth was really just a myth after all. That was until we turned around to go home. We raced down the street a little after midnight to enjoy the butterfly feelings in our stomach. When this dark-colored truck appeared, almost out of nowhere, we had panic and drove even faster, hitting about 98 miles per hour, hoping the truck would slow down and back off. If only that had happened. The truck sped up on our tails as we had expected, and we thought we would get rear-ended. It was just our luck when we reached the end of the road, and the truck disappeared. We had not known what to think of that experience that night. We still think of the ghost car, but we'll never know. All I can say is that I do believe in this myth, with my past in the paranormal and that night. It is all I have to answer. You may not believe, but I must say I do. I have been to Seven Hills many times. Three of them I was there at 12 on the dot and was never chased by a dream in truck. But I was with friends, one of two boys who died there on November 26. And really, going up there didn't seem worth it. I understand I'm a teenager and I do stupid things, but speeding that road is the dumbest thing you could ever do. Well, that's a good little message. My brother Tim was the one who lost his life on that road in 1971. He wasn't driving, but with a group of teens who were joyriding. I can still see the picture of the twisted car on the cover of the Catsonville Times. Please don't try and hit the 7th or any of the hills at any time. This tragedy haunts me to this day. The myth about the demon car is true. A group of friends and I drove down 7 hills, pulling up to the Hull House, which is after the 7th hill, when we got chased by a mysterious van where the driver couldn't be seen until we hit Route 40 when the van turned off its lights and made a U-turn and went back towards Seven Hills. It was November of 1994. This was the first of many unexplainable encounters I have had, such as witnessing a woman dressed all in black, a cloak with no iris or pulpits or pupils grinning at us, seeing a dark apparition at the top of Hull House when we ran. Well, guys, that is all that I have for the episode today. Thank you so much for dropping by, and I will try to upload more. I'm not going to lay any promises out because I don't know what tomorrow going to hold, but I love you guys. Please don't forget to pick up my book. You can find that by heading over to the Facebook page. So, guys, have a great night, and uh, see you later, my spookers.